The following podcast contains explicit language. Democracy is an enemy to every strong man in the world, including Putin. Let's not get fooled again. We've been here with Trump before. Anything having to do with Russia is fake news. And he's right in the sense that when it comes to Michael Flynn and now Attorney General Sessions, they have been saying things that were fake news. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about Donald Trump, the president who seems to have a pretty good rapport with the Russian ambassador. I'm Jamal Bowie, your host for today's show. Since the election, allegations of Russian hacking of the Democratic National Committee and serious questions about Trump's ties to the Russian government have led to, let's say, emphatic denials from the Trump campaign of any contact with Russian officials. But on two occasions in 2016, according to some recent reports from the Washington Post and the New York Times, then-Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, who was also a Trump campaign official, met with the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislak, contradicting those prior claims. What makes this bad, what makes it a potential crisis for the White House, is that Sessions may have actually lied about these meetings under oath while testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee during his confirmation hearing. The exchange was with Minnesota Senator Al Franken, who had asked Sessions what he would do as attorney general if there was any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign had communicated with the Russian government. Sessions responded by saying that he wasn't aware of any of these activities, and that while you may think of him as a surrogate, or he was a surrogate, he didn't have any communications with the Russians, and he was unable to comment on it. For most observers, there is a bit of an interesting problem there, a contradiction. It seems like Sessions is either directly misleading Franken, or that there's something else going on that he's trying to hide. In any case, since all of this broke, Democrats have called for Sessions' resignation, or Republicans have either called for his recusal from any investigation of Russia or the hacks into the DNC, or basically suggested that Sessions should perhaps clarify what he meant when he was talking to the committee. At a press conference on Thursday, Sessions did recuse himself from any investigation of the Trump campaign or its ties to the Russian government. And that's where we're at. Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, has taken the major step of taking himself out of any investigation or discussion of Russia. And there are still a whole bunch of questions for the White House and for the Department of Justice, for that matter, about what exactly is going on. Our guest today to talk about Jeff Sessions and the Russians is Matthew Miller, who is chief spokesman for the Department of Justice under President Obama. Now he's a partner at the Villanova Consulting Firm and a pretty vocal presence on Twitter. Hi, Matt. Welcome to Trumpcast. Thanks for having me. So I think my first question here is going to have less to do with, I don't know, anything that requires expert opinion necessarily, and more just your opinion as an observer of everything that's happened over the past 48 hours. Do you think that Sessions was lying when he spoke to the Judiciary Committee, when he was uh, received that question from Senator Franken? Or do you think that he was you know, not being clear, uh, was just being evasive or not understood the question. Because I think people, I think there's like, there is a divide on this question on whether you actually think Sessions was trying to mislead. Well, you're right. That is the million dollar question. Um, I'll put it this way. So when he got the initial question in the Judiciary Committee, um, I think it's possible that he wasn't trying to mislead them. I think it's possible that you know, he just didn't think of it in that context, which is what he has said. 
The thing that gives me pause about that is, look, I've been through a number of these hearings. I did it for Eric Holder, his confirmation, and then a number of times he went before uh, various House and Senate committees. I've done it for other witnesses. You, the thing you do in advance is you prep for um, every possible question. And there are always some questions you know you're going to get. And one of the biggest questions they knew they were going to get was about uh, an investigation into Russia. And, you know, he was ready to answer whether he would recuse himself or not. I think he had, I have to think they would have prepped for this question, which makes me think, while he may not have been technically lying, you can make a, a case for, for why it wasn't a lie. He's made that case. I I think it's likely he was being cute and trying to mislead them a little bit. And even if he wasn't, even if even if you do take him at his word and you take his interpretation, the problem is he gives that answer. There are people that work for Sessions who know that he met with uh, Kislyak twice, and they would have heard that answer and got, uh-oh, we have a little problem here. We need to clean that up. And the way you clean, clean that up is questions for the record. And in fact, they got another question about it. And that would have been the time to say, you know, I don't believe I ever discussed the campaign uh, with anyone, but I did meet with a Russian ambassador on these two occasions in my role as, as a senator. And not only they didn't do that, they kind of doubled down with their initial answer and said, no, I've never done it. And I think if, if he wasn't being misleading on the first question or on the first answer in the hearing, he certainly was being misleading in the, in the written answer. So where do, where do we go from here, right? That yesterday uh, at a news conference, the Attorney General Sessions said he would be recusing himself from any investigation uh, into Russia. The White House has said that the president has full confidence in, in Sessions. Um, and I think this morning uh, the president was tweeting – uh, I, I, I just assume angrily about the whole thing. Um, Same assumption. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like, you know, as an observer, there's all this smoke and something quite serious has happened that the attorney general is recusing himself from a potential investigation. We don't know if there's actually an investigation, but he's recusing himself. And it seems like, it seems like things are a bit, not paralyzed, but we're kind of in uncharted territory and no one's quite sure what's going to drop next or happen next. So just what are, what are your thoughts here? So I think there are two strands um, with regards to session. The first is this question of where the, whether he perjured himself. And that's not going to go anywhere because the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Chuck Grassley, doesn't really care. He's a friend of Sessions and he's not going to follow up on this. He's not, not that interested in it. So I think that's effectively over. Uh, but on this question of recusal, um, what, what has to happen now? Well, first, you know, this, this point you made about we don't know if there's an underlying investigation. Sessions tried very hard to signal that he wasn't confirming one. But I can tell you, you know, Holder recused himself from several investigations when I was there. And I, I don't ever remember him running around recusing himself from, himself from investigations that didn't exist. That was a pretty good confirmation that one does exist. Um, so we know the FBI is looking at this. That's, that's been widely reported. Uh, I uh, would assume, given the nature of this case, that that's being overseen by prosecutors in the Justice Department's National Security Division. So now, um, with Sessions having recused, those prosecutors will report up through the chain of command to the deputy attorney general. Right now, it's an acting uh, deputy, a guy named Dana Blonte, who's the U.S. attorney in Eastern Virginia, got put in that job when, uh, when the president fired Sal Yates. So 
the investigation could continue in that norm in that normal path with Dana overseeing it, and eventually Rod Rosenstein, who's the the president's nominee to be the deputy, once once he's confirmed with him overseeing it. But the problem is the deputy attorney general, the head of the national security division. Um, those people meet every day with the, the attorney general. Their staffs intermingle on dozens and dozens of issues. Uh, and the people in all three of those jobs regularly meet with the White House, from the president uh, to the chief of staff uh, to the Homeland Security Advisor, the National Security Advisor. They're constantly involved in conversations with the White House. And it's very tough to see how they would they would oversee and conduct this investigation um, independently and in a way that the public would think was independent as long as they're so immersed uh, with the White House. And I think that's why you really have to see the deputy attorney general, whether it's the acting deputy right now or Rosenstein when he's confirmed, really do need to follow kind of the precedent that that, um, that was set in the Bush administration when Pat Fitzgerald was appointed. And just appoint a special counsel, get this out of the chain of command so there can be no question uh, of whether this investigation is free and fair and independent and goes as, as far as the facts will lead. Does that is that something that Congress needs to do? I'm not actually sure about this. Or is that something that happens internally um, so, at the Department of Justice? Yeah, so it has to happen internally. There used to be an independent counsel statute um, that Congress set up after Watergate, and of course that's what led to Ken Starr being appointed. It's what led to the the Iran Contra special prosecutor being appointed. And after Ken Starr, both uh, both parties kind of agreed that they didn't want an unaccountable prosecutor who could kind of. Um, run wild. Republicans were really mad about the um, uh, the Iran Contra prosecutor, and um, and Democrats were, I think, rightly angry about Ken Starr. So it's now inside the Justice Department, and and since Sessions has recused, um, it, it it is a question that is left to the Deputy Attorney General. Now Chuck Schumer said something interesting yesterday. He said if Sessions doesn't recuse and appoint a special counsel. He'll introduce legislation to reauthorize the independent counsel statute. So now that half a step has been taken, Sessions is recused. It'd be interesting to see if, if, if the deputy attorney general doesn't take that second step and appoint a special counsel, whether Schumer pushes for that. It's not clear he can get that enacted into law, but he can certainly offer it in the Senate uh, as an amendment, multiple places, and force a vote on it, which could be pretty embarrassing for a lot of Republicans if they vote no and it looks like they're voting to, you know, to, to, to keep an independent inquiry into this from going forward. So I want to turn to the White House because, like I said earlier, uh, the president has been kind of vocal about this this morning. Um, he spoke out about it yesterday. And I have to say, just from, you know, observing the Obama administration for the last eight years, I don't quite recall President Obama ever making any statements about investigations, any statements about sort of people potentially mired in controversy. I and mean, Trump's rhetoric here seems pretty unusual. Um, if not, if not, you know, you might call it norms violating, though I think that term, you know, we've been using a lot in the past. <laughs> the, the violation of the norm is the new norm, maybe. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Um, Obama a couple of times veered into investigations. And I think most famously when he said that he didn't think Hillary Clinton's use of a private, of private email, you know, threatened national security, and, and and got in a little trouble for it. You know, people in the FBI were reportedly very missed by that, but you know that is is nothing compared to what Trump has done. The, I, I think the 
the the worst thing that Trump did. So yesterday before Sessions recused himself, he was asked, um, should he recuse? And he said no. And, you know, in our system where the Department of Justice is supposed to be independent of the White House when it comes to investigative matters, the, the real answer, the only, really the only answer to that question is, well, that's not for me to determine. That's for the attorney general to decide based on his review of, of the case and the facts. And, you know, the DOJ is independent. The AG is independent. And whatever he decides, I think, is the right outcome. And I, by the way, that's true for any circumstance. If the question was about what should the Department of Justice do about an investigation into you know, Goldman Sachs or, or whatever, that's what the president ought to say. But it's especially true when the underlying investigation is into the president's campaign associates and maybe eventually into the president himself. It's just completely inappropriate. and Not the first time he's crossed this line in terms of talking about what DOJ should and shouldn't do. You know, he, of course, talked about whether they should prosecute Hillary Clinton both during the campaign and during the transition. Right. What practical consequences are there? for Trump speaking in this matter? Is it just is it just kind of a transgressive thing that one shouldn't do, but doesn't have any material consequences for anything? Or does it actually mean something both for any investigation and, you know, how that investigation turns out? Could it come back and backfire on the president? Yeah, I, I think it, it could backfire in a couple of senses. One is um Publicly, when when he says things like that, um, it it makes people question the independence of an investigation. So if Sessions didn't want to recuse himself, say he hadn't planned to do it by four o'clock yesterday, um, Trump's statement would have been really damaging because oh great, of course we have the, we have the subject of the investigation here who thinks that it, the person handling it, who's his former campaign uh, uh, official, ought to continue. Well, that's pretty good evidence that maybe we ought to look at something else. You don't usually look at the subjects of investigation to decide who ought to investigate them. Um, the other, the other way it could come back to haunt him is, so we know what he's saying publicly. What are they saying privately? And this gets to, um, the conversations that Rents Priebus had, um, with the deputy director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, and with the director, James Comey, about whether they should call reporters and push back on that New York Times story about contacts between the campaign and Russian officials. Um, that was a deeply inappropriate thing for the White House to do. Um, you're not supposed to talk to the FBI about these investigations. Imagine if they, though, went even further privately and didn't just ask them to um, uh, to discuss news stories with reporters. But, you know, if the, the president called the attorney general or the FBI director and said, I really don't think you should, you know, look at this matter, or I think you ought to shut this down. You get into two problems there. One is it's potentially obstruction of justice. It's a criminal charge and a huge problem. The other thing is it's, it is uh, possibly an impeachable offense. That was, you know, one of the articles of impeachment against President Nixon was that he tried to shut down an FBI investigation of his White House. So when you see him saying this publicly, it has all kinds of, of tough implications for the rule of law, and it has tough implications for prosecutors at DOJ um, who wonder whether the president's statements are going to be used in court um, against them. Um, but it also has potential real ramifications if they, do, if they go even further and try to lean on people privately. One of the funny things, I guess I'd call it funny things about everything here, both the Trump administration's behavior, Sessions, um, the questions around Russia, is how much Congress does seem to have taken a seat 
uh, a backseat in all of this, and that it doesn't doesn't Republicans in Congress don't seem terribly interested in um, flexing their institutional muscle here. And you know, there it's sort of not hard to imagine why. You know, it's a president of their party; they have all these priorities. Um, but just I, I'm curious: Do you think? There's anything that would push House and Senate Republicans to be a little aggressive here? I mean, all, there, you got a hint of it yesterday um, when uh, Jason Chaffetz—I think that's how you say his last name—I've never actually said it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, he suggested that Session should recuse himself, but that he was one of just a handful of voices. So I just want to get your thoughts—your thoughts on this because talking to people. You know, talking to you know just ordinary observers of politics, like just folks who aren't necessarily journalists but who pay attention to this stuff. I think there's a lot of questions uh, about what what would it take, or, or or even what's the dynamic here. Maybe I have it wrong, and maybe it isn't just partisanship. Maybe there's something else I'm missing. No, I, I think you have it absolutely right, with a few exceptions: John McCain and Lindsey Graham being, I think, the most prominent ones. Most Republicans uh, on the Hill seem to want to, want this to just go away. I mean, to the to the extent that you even have the two ch- chairmen of the intelligence committees who are supposed to be conducting these investigations calling reporters uh, at the White House's behest to say that, you know, they haven't found anything yet when they've barely begun the investigation. I mean, that's, that's, that shows you how, how much they want this to go away. I think what, what would cause them to do more is the same thing that caused them, some of them to start speaking out about sessions yesterday public revelations of actual wrongdoing that they can't ignore. You know, if the political pressure gets too high, um, they decide, you know, do I want to go down with this ship or do I want to jump from it? And politicians can always be counted to jump when it's in their interest. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think if we see continued stories um, of new information, we'll see them, um, uh, you know, accelerate their investigation. But there's one very big thing that would, you know, blow the top off off this this story, and that's actual demonstrated evidence of not just contacts between Trump campaign officials in Russia, but contacts where they actually colluded about the uh, hack into the DNC or whether they discussed changing the Republican Party's platform at the at the at the Russian government's behest. Actual demonstrated, you, you know, we know that they, they, the FBI knows the, that there were contacts that happened. What we don't know is whether they know the content of those contacts and those conversations. But if we do, if that evidence ever comes out, if it exists, we don't know that it actually happened. But if it did happen and the evidence comes out, that would blow the lid off this thing. And I think you'd see a bandwagon effect where no one could help but push for a really, really full open investigation. Right. I mean, that that's sort of what is a bit... Uh, odd about this entire um, scandal is that we have, I mean, at this point, it seems you could count the people who ha- who didn't meet with uh, the Russian ambassador within the Trump campaign. Um, I think yesterday there was a revelation that Jared Kushner had met um, with him at Trump Tower in December. And so there's, you know, there, there are these constant contacts, regular contacts between members of the Trump campaign up and down the hierarchy. But we just have that. There, there's like all the smoke and in, in some cases, like thick plumes of it. Um, but no, one, no one's really certain if there's any actual fire here. And I find that I find that interesting. Yeah. I mean, so we don't know the actual fire in terms, you know, 
did someone call Paul Manafort and say, hey, so we've hacked into John Podesta's emails, and what do you think we ought to do about it? He said, you know, wait till October and release it then. It'll be a great the great campaign tactic. Um, I'm exaggerating. I doubt if anything like that did happen. It was that overt. We don't know whether there's any fire like that. But there, we do know of some really unusual things that the Trump campaign did largely in the open that in any other campaign would have been a massive scandal. And, and maybe they are here too. You know, Trump encouraging the Russians publicly to hack into um, Hillary Clinton's emails. Um, uh, the Trump campaign changing its platform to make it uh, more pro-Russian, something that most Republicans didn't really seem to agree with, but the Trump campaign pushed it through. Um, the president's con- comments uh, during the, con- the Republican convention about how he didn't really support NATO, um, there, there were just these odd string of public things by the, the Trump campaign that didn't seem to make a lot of political sense, couldn't understand why they were doing them. And I think that's why people come back and say, so that's what, that what makes you wonder if they're doing all these things that didn't make sense from a political standpoint, a U.S. political standpoint, why were they doing them? And then you throw on top of it the way they handle any new revelation. So Mike Flynn has conversations with the Russian ambassador that are probably perfectly def- defensible, and he lies about them to the vice president. And the vice president then repeats that lie publicly. Jeff Sessions has meetings with the Russian ambassador again perfectly legitimate thing to do, but he misleads the Senate committee about them. So that pattern of behavior leads you to say, why do they keep hiding this? And why do they keep handling this so strangely? They're either trying to hide something or they're just completely inept and incompetent in their public response. Um, either of those could be true, or I guess, you know, possibly both could be true at the same time. Right. They could be two great tastes that go together. <laughs> That's exactly right. The, the Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cups of administration scandal response. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been talking to Matthew Miller, former spokesman at the Department of Justice. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the show. This was a very uh, interesting conversation, and it definitely helped me understand a bit better what's going on. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me. And that is it for the show. Today's Trumpcast was produced by Jordan Bell. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is Panoply's chief content officer. Jacob Weisberg is team leader here at Trumpcast and may or may not know the Russian ambassador himself. I'm Jamel Bowie. Thank you for listening. <laughs>